sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. So, my guest on today's episode of the Tales of Tennessee podcast is as authentic as they come. She is the firefly shining bright in the UK and Irish country music scene and is breaking down all sorts of cross-genre barriers as well. Her recent album release gathered more than 400,000 streams on the very first day and has re- received huge critical acclaim from across the world. She is, of course, Megan O'Neill. Welcome to the podcast, Megan. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Georgie. You're very welcome. So your new album, um, Getting Comfortable with Uncertainty, came out last week or was it the week week before last? Week before, yeah. Oh my and God, that, it's like 10 days ago now already. Yeah, <laughs> that seems to have gone so well. Yeah, it's been really great. Um for me and i think it's this way for artists always like you've been working on this material for so long and i've kind of with covid we pushed back the release of the album six months so i'd kind of been like gearing up for this for so long and uh i'm really glad it's out now and i'm so glad it's been received yeah so so well that's brilliant so okay you are from ireland and Ireland is synonymous with country and folk music and kind of rootsy type music. Has that always been a huge influence in your life? Yeah, I think like I grew up listening to, see country music in Ireland, and I'm always kind of careful to like outline this, is really different mm. than country music in the UK or the US. Um, and I have kind of I think it's a weird one for me because I probably started in, in kind of country and roots music because I moved to Nashville at 21 and that's where I started like really writing and releasing music. Um, but then I moved quite away from that. Still, still had like country influences and stuff, but moved quite away from that. And then, um, my, you know, this record that's just come out and the previous record are quite like definitely have country influences that you can hear. Um, but like you said in the intro, like lots of cross genre stuff. Mm. And I grew up listening to probably that similar stuff and, you know, lots of cross genre stuff that the lyrics, like lots of folk, lots of Irish folk, Mary Black, Francis Black, lots of amazing female songwriters that my mom would have playing in the car all the time, like Carol King, Joni Mitchell, Stevie Nicks, Reba McIntyre, just like powerhouses of women. Um, and so she, her taste in music was like a lot of females um, and anything where the lyrics and the stories were important. Like she have, we'd be driving around and I'd be like 11 in the back of the car and she'd be like, listen to the lyrics, Megan, listen. And like, that was my education. Um, so yeah, I think I always gravitated towards the stories being the most important part of my own songs. And that's probably why I loved country so much and loved folk music so much, because it is all about that. It's all about sharing those stories. Yeah. And give us a little bit about your background. So you say, you know, your mum obviously loved her, loves her music. Is she a singer? Does she play any instruments? What have you? Has this always been, you know, your path? Yeah, my mom is an amazing singer, amazing, and and never really wrote music, but like plays guitar, plays a bit of piano, um, and it's just very musical and yeah she would have like my parents would have been very supportive of whatever we wanted to try when we were kids so whether that was like Irish dancing or horse riding or hip-hop or ballet or whatever but I was always like I want to play violin I want to play guitar I want to play flute I want to play drums I like wanted to try everything 
that was music related. And so she was like, yeah, absolutely. And, and really kind of helped me to explore that creative side. Um, and then, you know, I turned like probably 14, got interested in, you know, other stuff. I, I was big into musical theater, really big into musical theater for my teenage years. Um, and also really big into horse riding. So my man's bribe was always, if you give up piano, you have to give up horse riding. So I just always kept up the piano for that reason. And I'm glad I did now, obviously. Um, but yeah, she was, she was definitely pushing me in that direction. And, and I'm glad that she was. Yeah. And do you still ride? Yeah, I do. Like I don't have horses anymore. I, I had a few horses in my kind of late teens, early twenties that I, um, I was just, I just loved them. And I used to like adopt horses that other people didn't want. Yeah. Um, but I was big into like, you know, show jumping and all like stuff like that. I loved it. But then like I went off to college and I was kind of coming home three times a week from college to like look after horses. And it was just too much of a, of a pull on my time and music had kind of started to take over a bit at that point. So I, I don't. Haven't had them since. Would love to in the future. A nice Irish farm with a few horses now would be the dream. That would be lovely. Although I think you did make the right choice because speaking of somebody with two horses, it's such a hassle. <laughs> I love them dearly, but it's such a hassle. And, you know, at least with a flute, you can put it back in its box or the piano, you can just shut the lid. Well, and, you know, you're done. You don't need that to do it for the weekend. Um, that is but, true. Uh, yeah, I think they're both very addictive, very addictive hobbies, music yeah. and, and animals in general. I yeah, think. I agree. I agree. <laughs> so what did you do at college? Was that very music? Was that musically based? No, I actually studied psychology at university. Oh, okay. And um, see, university in Ireland is free. Like you're, you get a free third level education here. So it's it's amazing. And it's it's definitely like smart to make use of it. And um, so my parents were, as much as they were supportive of my my desire to go into music and, and, you know, they were a bit like, oh God, does she really want to, you know, be a singer songwriter? Is this really what she wants to do? Because Christ, that is, you know, a difficult, difficult career path and difficult life for her. So, um, they were trying to probably steer me a little bit away from that. And, uh, they were like, look, go to college, get a degree that you can use. That's the fallback plan. So, I got into psychology and was really interested in that anyway. I ended up specializing in performance psychology and like loved all of that area. Um, but I got a scholarship to sing for my university. So I got a scholarship with the UCD Choral Scholars, which kind of took over from my actual psychology studies. And I just did a lot more music in college than I thought I would. Yeah. And do you, nowadays, do you ever use those techniques that you learned sort of during your psychology course, do you find yourself consciously using those if you are performing or can you help other people with those techniques? Not really. Like, I don't know, maybe on a subconscious level, I might use some of the stuff around like performance anxiety or, but I don't really think that I do. I think those techniques are really hard to like use on yourself mm. and probably a thing that you know a lot of people at work in psychology they are able to give that advice or able to create those programs but it is it's pretty hard to implement your own advice as we all know but I also I don't tend to get overly like some people suffer terrible from from stage fright and from stage anxiety and I don't really tend to get that very much I do on the huge shows 
And I'm sure I will when I go back playing shows at the end of this year because it's been so long. But um, yeah, I just try and relax myself and do some breathing and and not overly stress about every single little thing. <laughs> I mean, I know in, in other genres, so sport, for example, sports psychology is becoming a huge thing. Do you, it, is it a thing with performers in, you know, obviously we're specifically talking country music here. Um, in your experience, sort of over the last five, 10 years or however long, is it something that's become more of a, an accessible thing for performance to access or is it still not really particularly well known or well utilized? I think it might be well known and well utilized in the more, you know, with the top tier artists. I'm sure it is. Um, I think unfortunately when it comes to sports versus music, there's a huge divide in, in the money that's there to go around in the support that's there. Like, I think people in music and, you know, I have my own podcast as well, where we had these two authors of this amazing book called Sound Advice. And they're talking all about this, like the problems with the health of musicians being so incredibly undervalued. And like, we don't get the support that, you know, somebody that's maybe at a similar tier in sports would get. We don't really tend to have those same resources. So I'd love to see it more utilized. I really would. But, um, I don't know. There's, there's a, there's a problem in that whole area with musicians. I think I have to say it's not really something I've ever given a lot, a lot of thought to. So I think it's really interesting to hear, to hear that because I know there's obviously there's a huge thing about mental health, especially at the moment. And musicians, I think will have been potentially hit really hard because they haven't been able to get out and perform and stuff like that. But actually the psychology of performing itself. I mean, I know I would struggle to do it to get up on the stage. Um, and then still be compass enough to actually sing or play the guitar, remember your words or whatever you're doing. Um, I think that's a really interesting, interesting subject. I think I might find a little performance oh, psychologist to come, yeah. on the, come on the podcast, it's, I think. It's a total rabbit hole. Like yeah. when you get into that conversation, it's a, it's a total rabbit hole. So be prepared for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm up, I'm up for that. So you obviously you went to uni in Ireland and then. You just you said that you moved to Nashville when you were twenty one. Yeah, was that straight after uni, or did you? Yeah, that was literally like two days after I graduated. I went. Amazing. And did you have a job or anything before you went, or were you just winging it? I was totally winging it, and I knew nothing about the place. And I was like thinking, like it'd be like Dublin, and I could get a bus everywhere. Nashville is not like that, and I you know, found a room on Craigslist. I knew nobody. I knew nothing about, I just knew nothing. And I was like, well, sure, look, I'll go for three months and, you know, see how I get on and try and, you know, write with the right people and get into the right circles. And thankfully that all went really well for me. And it could have, you know, broken my spirit completely. And I, maybe I would have quit then, but thankfully it all, uh, it all went very well. And did you just stay for the three months and then come home? No, I was there for the guts of two years, actually. So I, yeah, I ended up, I was so fortunate. Like I had a, a connection in Ireland who um, has been like my fairy godfather in this whole music business scene. He used to run very successful labels in Ireland years ago. And he, I told him I was going to Nashville and he loved what I was doing. So he was like, look, I'll put you in touch with one person I know out there. And that kind of spiraled that one person ended up knowing somebody else and I ended up like 
you know, a few days into my trip, I was at a table with like all these Grammy award winning songwriters and publishers and artists. And I was like, what is happening? And uh, yeah, I was really fortunate. I was kind of taken under the wings of some people who were just the kindest, most generous, most wonderful human beings who just wanted to, you know, see this young girl who'd come over from abroad, just like have a chance, you know? Um, so I got really lucky in that aspect and, and I got welcomed into these circles and that kind of meant that I could stay there and I could write and record and demo stuff. And, um, yeah, it was an amazing education, like very, very, um, very humbling, Mm. very educating, full of growth. Um, just the best thing that I, that I could have done, I think. And what, when you are writing, what gives you inspiration? Where does it come from? Is it generally from real life stuff that you've done or you've seen your friends experience or is it just your imagination running wild and making it up? I think it, so it totally depends. I'm a very autobiographical songwriter. I really do write things that I feel that I've been through and that I'm going through currently. Like I kind of And I tend to write things that I've been through more than what I'm going through currently. Yeah. Like I tend to like look back a little bit um, and be able to tap back into those things that maybe in the moment are a bit too difficult to write about. Um, So yeah, I'd be a very autobiographical songwriter. But when I work with other artists and I write for other projects, I'm writing somebody else's story as well. So it kind of depends on like if I'm writing for me and their songs that I'm going to release, I have to be able to relate to them. Mm. Like I can't release something that I feel nothing about that story. It's just, it's not in me, but I can happily sit down with you, Georgie, and have like a a co-writing session here and we write your story. Good luck with that. I'm not sure what would come out the end. (laughs) But I love that. Like I love being able to sit on a, on a call with somebody else and be like, okay, so, you know, we're writing for your project today. We're writing for your, your band, whatever. Like, what do you want to say? What's your message? And, and I love being able to bring that to life as well. Yeah. And so before you went to Nashville, how much, had you done much writing or was it more instrumental and performing? I hadn't done a whole, like I, I had been writing, but like terrible songs. (laughs) And I think, not necessarily terrible songs, but just like the songs you write when you're a teenager are not anything up to par. Like, and that's my life anyway. Mm. You know, I even look back on the very first EP I released and I'm like, God, those songs are old to me now. And you're constantly evolving and growing as a person and as an artist. So what you're working on, it's, it's always going to change. Um, and I think that for me, I recorded like a collection of songs. I'm not going to call it a record, but it was like 12 songs when I was 17, I think. Mm. Um, and they were all songs that I'd written by myself. And then I went from, that was kind of what I'd laid down. Maybe I was 18 before I went to Nashville. Um, so yeah, I'd been writing a lot of that, but I hadn't really learned how to like properly structure or properly think about song structure or like how to make my lyrics a bit more clever or all of these things. I hadn't really properly kind of taken all these extra elements into consideration, which is what happened when I went to Nashville. It was really like educated in the process. Yeah. That's, I, I, I love that, you know, you can see such a, 
such a difference and from the the initial kind of raw stuff and actually I was talking to Todd Thomas on the podcast um a few weeks ago and he was saying how with an artist their next release is always the best because you know they're constantly growing and they're never going to put anything out that they think is worse than the one that they put out before and so it's you know that constant journey and that development and um I think it's really interesting how you've learned about the structure and like you say making your lyrics more clever and fitting it all in and just yeah, well, learning from all those other people who do it day in day out yeah Nashville is a song factory like that's yeah. what it is you are like you are and it's it's kind of a bit like disarming in that way because you are in a room and you're in a session and you're co-writing with somebody and you know that in every room in every building all over the city there are people doing the same thing and you're like what am I doing with my life? Like, how is this ever going to stand out? You know, and and there's definitely an element of that when you're there, and mm. um, that can be a bit disheartening and a bit like I don't know, almost like I don't know what the word is, but can definitely make you feel like who the hell do I think I am that I could possibly have a song that would stand out among all these people? Mm. Um, it's very humbling, but I also think there's an element of what I learned in Nashville definitely is that you schedule creativity. There's no, there's no like, oh, I'll write a song when I feel like it or when that light bulb moment comes on or when I, when I get inspired, like you, you create that inspiration. You are constantly putting yourself in a creative space. You're deciding every day at 10 o'clock and two o'clock, both sessions that you're going to come out of there with a song. And that's hard. that was a huge, yeah, but that was a huge learning thing for me because I was like, oh my God, I can decide to write. I don't have to wait for any form of inspiration. I can decide to sit down every day and schedule my creativity and put myself in that space that I know I'm going to come up with something amazing. Not always amazing, but I know I'm going to come up with something. Yeah. And I think that's a huge lesson that I learned and that a lot of songwriters, like I work with songwriters day in, day out at the moment, especially with COVID, you know, lots of Zoom sessions and um you know there are days where you go, go into that session and you're like I do not want to write a song today I have nothing to say I'm so tired but you do it and sometimes they're your best songs um Expected. yeah so I think Nashville's really good for that it's really good for understanding that you you have to schedule this it's a job like anything else and you show up every day and you do it yeah so you've um you've had a couple of your songs featured in TV programs, obviously, um, Firefly Lane most recently, um, from, and that was from the recent album, wasn't it? Um, and then Nashville, the TV program. Did you have anything published sort of before you started performing them yourselves? You know, have you written any, any other songs that somebody else, uh, performed or released before you? Mm, um, I'm just, I'm just about to actually. That's what's kind of coming up for me in the next year. There's, and unfortunately I can't tell you who they are or what the projects are yet because they're, they're not out. But this year I, I've kind of been, I suppose like 2020, all my shows were gone. I kind of dove really quickly and, and deeply into the songwriting world and songwriting for other artists. So there's some really exciting stuff in the pipeline, like very, very exciting that at the end of this year and early next year will be hitting the airwaves or you know the screens for that matter and that's so exciting for me because 
usually I'm, usually when I'm touring maybe three, four, five, six months of the year and the other, the other few months that I have time to write, I'm focused on writing for myself because I have to be, but having all those shows taken away meant that I had more time to write for other people and other projects and other briefs. And that's been hugely exciting because it's just so different. Like I've been writing loads of pop music and I'm like, who do I think I am singing pop? But it's so fun. So fun. Yeah. And so when you are writing those songs for other people, is that because they have approached you with a brief or are you writing and you've come up with a song and you think actually that would suit this person better than it would suit me? It's a bit of both. It's a bit of both. It could be either like, um, Ireland has an unbelievable scene of songwriters at the moment. Like I, I've only recently tapped into it in the last 18 months and I'm completely mind blown by the talent of songwriters in Ireland. It's just like insane. And I would work with a lot of them on briefs. Like, so we organize a session and somebody would come in and say, Hey, um, Selena Gomez, for example, is looking for a pop song, this BPM, this concept, this idea, this vibe. And you write to that brief mm. um, and then you pitch it for that artist. So there's some situations where you're writing to brief like that. There's other situations where we'll just write a great song. And then when the song is done, we'll be like, okay, this could actually really fit with X, Y, Z person. So yeah, it's a weird one. Like at the moment I'm unpublished. And um, that's something that I'm in discussions with, with a few people at the moment, but um, I am unpublished, so I'm responsible for pitching my own songs and placing them in TV or with other artists or whatever. And in some instances that works in my favor, because if I, if that happens, I get all the money, I get all the credit. I, nobody else is taking a percentage of my publishing, but it's one extra job that you have to do when at the moment I'm trying to do the job of like six people. So it, it is, it's exhausting to also have to pitch. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess that's maybe something that you've had obviously more time to do because you haven't been out and about on the road. And I'm assuming that once everything opens up and you are out gigging again, that might be something that you, you struggle to find time with because time for, because you've got, you've actually got to perform and, you know, do the, do yeah. the and everything. Well, that's it. And like, I, unless I take my full studio on the road with me, which, you know, technically I could do if I had a big enough van but would be, you know, a bit of a struggle. Yeah. And, you know, this, this autumn slash winter, fingers crossed, if, if we can tour, I'm going to be away pretty much solidly from September to Christmas touring all around the world. So I'm not going to be able to write then. Hmm. So I'm kind of like the, the year is going to be top heavy for me at the moment. I'm writing loads and I'm back in the studio end of April to record the next record. Um, and that will probably be finished by the summer. And then we'll be putting singles out from that next record from probably like August onwards. So my plan is to just like do a, a shitload of writing now. And then hopefully the, the latter half of the year I can tour without needing to, to worry about that. That's really exciting though. Really exciting. And, uh, the next record, do you think it's going to be sort of in the same vein as the one that you've put out recently? Or are you, is your, is your style kind of developing? Uh, you know, we've spoken about you kind of crossing genres and not maybe being just under one, the country bracket. Do you think you're veering one way or the other? Or do you think it's much, much the same as this? Yeah, like it's, 
I find that the, like, I don't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't technically term myself as a country artist and I, I wouldn't have put myself in that bracket probably for the last four years. Mm. But I think there, you know, you start in one, in one box and people love for you to stay in that box, which as an artist is infuriating because you're like, what I, you know, and, but it's, it's, it's understandable as well because people want to be able to understand you. Mm. Um, Is that, you know, do you, when they do put you in that, in that box, in that bracket, is that because from a sort of management point of view, is it easier because then you know you're targeting a country audience? Of course. You're targeting a folk audience or Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're targeting, if you want to sign with labels, you're going to sign with labels that do well with that genre, with radio stations that do well with that genre, whatever. So, but then like, I think in recent years, that's not as like, especially not with country. Country is so varied now and you can have like such a variation between what one person puts out and considers country and what somebody else puts out and considers country. Like my ghost of you album was verging on Americana, but very much so verging on pop and adult contemporary. And there was like maybe two songs in there that that I could swing into a country genre. But then that was the same with like Casey Musgraves record, which won a Grammy for country and was to me, like the only thing country in there was a bit of banjo, but then that's the, that's the variation of country. That's how country has developed into so many different genres that you can have influences from everywhere. And I feel like that's probably the way that I've gone. Like ghost of you felt like the beginning of an evolution away from country. Mm. Um, but still, like, I still love a lot of country music, like Ingrid Andrus, I'm completely obsessed with at the moment, yeah. but I wouldn't consider her stuff pure country at all. And, you know, I think it taps into a lot of pop. And I think that Ghost of You was the beginning of that for me. And then getting comfortable with uncertainty had more influences from like alternative rock and folk and still pop, um, as well in a lot of those songs. And this one, the next record is moving. I don't know if you, if you'll hear any country in the next record. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, like I still, the stories again, the stories are still to the forefront. My voice still has country elements to it and, and always will and very folky elements to it and always will. But there's much more of a blend of electronic instruments on the new stuff. Um, and do you think that is what sort of makes the difference? Because like you say, it is very much. Well, for me as a, as a listener, it is very much the, the storytelling, the songwriting, um, the lyrics, as well as the melody. Whereas in pop, when I think of pop, and this might be completely wrong, you know, I don't think of it having that storytelling vibe. Yeah, I like pop. I like pop music, but I would, if I had a choice, I'd generally listen to country just because of the storytelling aspect. However, when I actually sit down and listen to the some pop songs that do have that storytelling aspect you're right you, there isn't really a there isn't really there isn't a, a vast if somebody difference. told me that was country then I'd just go with it anyway what do you yeah. as the difference between pop and the more poppy country um I think it's the instrumentation that you use it's the characteristics of somebody's voice like even though Ingrid Andrus her production is very pop her voice is very characteristically country and folk yeah and 
I think it's similar with Casey Musgraves. I think it's similar with Caitlin Smith. I think it's similar with Marin Morris. Marin Morris's production is pure pop with some country instrumentation in it. And I think that that's what I mean by the lines are so blurred. Like there's definitely like pop that's over here to the right. That's like super pop that I would never listen to. Um, I might when I'm out running because it'll get me going. But like other than that, it wouldn't really be where I would gravitate towards. Whereas like I will always gravitate towards listening to country, country folk, Americana roots music, like the staves, like Maggie Rogers, who started out in folk, like Taylor Swift's new records that are very like pop influenced, but lots of other stuff going on. And I'm obsessed with them. Um, like I, I just love big production. I yeah. love a big band feel. I love a big drum kit. I love having a dance. And I think my new music is moving a lot more in the direction of like being anthemic and being that big production rather than where I kind of have started, which is more so the songwriter side. Yeah. Like what the, but the songwriting for me, the lyrics for me and what they say are always going to be the most important thing. So like I could play any gig anywhere in the world and if I played the songs acoustically and told people they were country, everyone would be like, of course they're country <laughs> because that's kind of naturally what's in my voice, what's in my character, what's in my lyrics. Yeah. Um, but I'm just moving to bigger production. And I suppose that's what happened with this album as well. Yeah. So that leads nicely on to the next, the next question. You have supported some huge artists, obviously not least Tom Jones. What that I mean, that must have been an absolutely amazing experience. Yeah, ridiculous, like mad. I remember my manager at the time ringing me up and being like, Hey, um, what are you doing? Uh, I don't know, whatever date it was. And I was like, I'm not sure why. And he was like, Do you want to support Tom Jones? And I was like, Sorry, can you just <laughs> rewind a little bit there? And originally, it was just supposed to be the one show, um, which I know unfortunately collided for us quite a bit then. I was very sad about. And then it ended up being three shows, um, with Tom Johnson. Yeah. Which was amazing. Like all of those experiences are big career milestones and playing to an audience like that with a crew and a setup like that and stage managers and engineers all over the place and just like really wonderful people kind of saying lovely things about what you're doing. I mean, that's all very nice. Um, yeah, so it was a huge experience. And to meet Tom Jones, I was just like, oh my God, you're actually real. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. And how did, how did that come about? Is that, I mean, obviously you've got the talent, but it, is that very much a almost right place, right time? Because there must be just thousands of people of artists wanting to support artists like him how do how do you get those slots yeah a lot of it comes down to who you're working with like I was working with a manager and a booking agent that just had an in with that promoter Mm. and therefore gets the connection to be able to pitch his artists for that slot so it's all about like like I'm signed with an agency now who have incredible connections um, with ITV and I love being with them. Obviously I signed with them at a terrible time because lockdown has happened like two months after I signed with them. It was like two months later, lockdown. It's like, great. Um, But we have some really exciting things in the pipeline and 
because as an agency, they represent huge artists like Bob Dylan and like Neil Young and just ridiculous amounts of huge artists. They can then say, well, we want one of our other artists to open for that artist because we represent both. So it's about being in the right pockets and, and being musically suitable for the, for what it is. Yeah. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. So. Uh, rewinding slightly and going back to talking about Nashville, because obviously the podcast does look at Nashville, the places to go, things to do, etc. What were your first impressions when you landed there as a sort of fairly green 21-year-old? What did you think? Oh, my God. I thought so much. Um, I I remember just being completely blown away by Broadway, by like being downtown and just being like, Oh my God. Um, I remember my first week or two there just being like, everyone's so talented. Like every band playing in every bar and they're all playing for free. And I'm just like, how is this? How is this much talent in one place? But also like really different for me, like going to Southern states of America from Ireland, like (laughs) just like, People were like, what are you saying? <laughs> I don't understand you. Um, but just so many, so many cultural things. I think a lot of the time you can think when you go to America that it's going to be easy to adapt because everyone speaks the same language. But culturally, America is so different and Southern states of America even more so. So there was lots of adapting, but just like, the music spilling out of everywhere, the line dancing, the cowboy boots, the record stores, like going out and listening to live music and just kind of getting engrossed in the industry out there a bit. It was just like, I'd love to go and do it all again. And I'd love to go and do it all again at this age. Like, obviously I haven't been back there in the last, you know, 18 months with COVID, but I would have gone back like every year and stayed with, my friends out there who work in the industry and kind of just like go to ridiculous record label parties where like it's drink all the whiskey you want all night and have the best time. And like, I'm definitely, this podcast is going to make me really nostalgic now. <laughs> I'm just going to be like, I want to go back now. Um, cause yeah, it's, it's a place like no other. There's nowhere I've ever been that compares. Yeah. What do you have any, for somebody who hasn't been to Nashville, what are your top tips? Where should they absolutely make sure they go for their, for their first trip? Yeah, obviously Broadway, just like a night on Broadway is the best one ever. The Wild Horse Saloon that does the best line dancing ever and is the best crack. Like you literally go in and it's just so funny and they teach you how to line dance. It's great. Um, I love it there. And, um, Obviously, like all of the famous bars that would be on Broadway, great places to go. Fido, which is like a coffee kind of cafe place, is my favorite place to go for coffee. And Frothy Monkey as well is also really nice. And it's weird because you kind of just go and like sit down and have a coffee and everybody around you is talking about music. Mm. Everyone around you is like, let's do a co-write. Oh, I'm so-and-so's manager. I'm so, And you're just like surrounded by... So much of the industry all the time. It's, it's crazy. Um, winners and losers is great. Belcourt Taps is great. The parks are great. Like I'm big into hiking and I used to kind of escape out there quite a bit when I would go and there's 
couple of places like outside of town, an hour or two outside of town. Sorry? Whereabouts? That was going to be my next question. I know. Going further afield from Nashville in Tennessee, do you have any? I know. I'm trying to... um, I'm trying to remember there's one that a few of the girls I was living with took me on. Oh, Fall Creek Falls. That's it. It's beautiful. But that's not that's not the one I'm I'm thinking of. There's a few of them that are like quite a bit far out of town. Mm. Cummins Falls is beautiful. That's like a really large waterfall. I think it's the seventh or the eighth largest waterfall in Tennessee. Fall Creek Falls is like rock climbing, swimming pools, camping hiking just like insane typical american style stuff that you know we just don't really do over here i know yeah there's it's oh there's just so much beautiful stuff but um even like within nashville there's um like some of the parks centennial park is obviously the one in the middle um but i think it's percy warner is another park out there i'm I'm really testing my knowledge here because i haven't been there in a few years Percy Warner Park is lovely and like more kind of forestry and everyone's out trail running with their dogs. And I'm like, I could live here. <laughs> it's lovely. I always find that a little bit intimidating, not just in the States, but, you know, whenever you go to another country, you don't really know the rules of, you know, what you can do if you go to a park or, you know, can you let your dog off the lead or can you park here? And, you know, can you just go and camp? And, and in the States, it does seem very much freer than over here you know if you want to go and pitch up near a waterfall you can probably just do that and no one will care um which I absolutely love and I'm all up for that uh and definitely having done this podcast as well my list of places to go in Tennessee but not necessarily just Nashville is getting quite long now so yeah I can't wait to go back so many like America's they're not afraid of long drives either like I drove from Nashville to Chicago and it was like 10 hours, eight yeah. hours, something like that. And to me, that was like the longest drive ever. And then a friend of mine who lived in Ireland actually, but is originally from um, Toronto, used to drive to Nashville every weekend. And I was like, sorry, what? Like to me, two hours is a long drive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing driving to Tennessee? Um, but they're just not afraid of it like we are. No, And, <laughs> and I think it is, you know, in Ireland, you can go from Dublin to Galway in three hours. You know, that's the other side of the country. Exactly. To get from one side of the country to the other side of the country in the States. I mean, that's just a whole different ball game. So yeah. it's um, it's just totally different scale, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, experiences. So we've obviously, we've spoken about your plans for 2021, all your new music and live music towards the end of the year, which is very exciting. Do you have any... Uh, or do you have a top UK country artist that you can tell us that we should be looking out for? Oh my God. Um, so hard to decide. There's so many. I, I'm a huge fan of Laura Oaks and I love what Laura does. I just, her song, like I've, I've done loads of gigs with Laura and just like her songwriting is incredible. She's such a wonderful person. Yeah, I love what Laura does always. I don't even know what she has planned, but I've just, it's probably going to be great. <laughs> so, but loads of them, like Tim, like you were saying earlier, I love Tim. Tim is fantastic and Shake Morales doing great things and everyone's working really hard. Um, everyone that I speak to in the UK country scene is working really hard and, and doing amazing things. So just keep your ears peeled, ears and eyes peeled for all of them. And what about a US artist to watch? Oh God. 
I'm going to say Caitlin Smith. Okay. Um, I don't know if you know her, but she is, I've she's got this song. Come across her this year. Um, yeah. Oh my God. She's got some absolute bangers, but she's got this one song called You Put Me Back Together. And I have literally, I would say I've listened to it 170 times. Like it's always on. And I just think she's such an amazing songwriter and her voice is killer. So I'd love to see her like the way Ingrid Andrus stepped up this year at the Grammys. I'd love to see that for Caitlin Smith. Okay. And do you have a go-to country road trip song? Oh my God. Um, maybe Ladylike by Ingrid Andrus actually. That might be my like one when I'm driving in the car and screaming at the top of my voice singing along to it and people are looking in being like what is wrong with your one (laughs) (laughs) love it and just kind of a a last little bit of advice I I guess and how I mean what is what's the hardest thing you've had to do throughout your career to get to where you are today and how did you go about getting over it you know make or break moment wow and I've had lots of them like I think the first few years of my career, um, from like, you know, 21 to 26, probably I spent all of my time going, if I don't have this, this, and this by this Christmas, I'm done. I'm just done. Like, it's so hard. You're working and it is so hard. Like you're not getting paid for anything that you do. You're working dead end jobs to try and fund the next record. You're playing gigs for nothing. You're, you're, you're taking time out from seeing your loved ones and your friends and your family because you're so focused on this career and like nobody sees that and that is hard like even still people will be like oh sure it's great you get to play some shows write some music isn't it lovely and I'm like I literally work 14 hour days every day like I am not just the songwriter and the artist I'm the publisher, I'm the sync agent, I'm the manager, I'm the release label, I'm the PR, I'm the social media manager, I'm the admin, I'm the tour booker, I'm everything. And you're supposed to be able to do all of those jobs while still coming up with amazing creative material. Like it's a lot to ask of someone. And I know that everybody I know that's in the same boat as me has the same, we get together and we just bitch about this for an hour before we do anything else. And it's a, it's a real challenge. And record labels today want you to have done everything and built this amazing career before they sign you and then bankroll the rest of it. But you have to have done everything prior. And so my biggest challenge at the moment is that Mm. like all of these great things are coming my way and I'm very grateful for those things. I like, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about what's going on at the moment and everything that's coming in the next 18 months but I'm drowning in workload, drowning because every, every opportunity is time sensitive and everybody wants you to do it this week. And so I'm, I'm really struggling at the moment, like with just trying to get through everything. And the struggle with that is just not having enough help, mm-hmm. not having the right team around you that can say, I'll take that off you, Megan. Like you don't need to be worrying about that. You just worry about the songs. And for the majority of artists I know, that is the biggest struggle that and finances obviously and finances even more so with COVID but I think the 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 early years my biggest struggle was just like a lot of resistance against what I knew I really wanted to do which was this but like knowing how much I had to give up to do it and struggling with 
what I was going to get back in the short term, which was nothing. Like it took me eight years to get to a point where I could actually sustain myself off of my own career. And how if do I you keep going? Um, good question. <laughs> I think, um, I just love it. That's the bloody problem. I just love it. And I just, I've definitely had moments where I've burnt out and I've been like, I need a month off. Like I can't write any more songs. I can't do this. But I find myself after three days being like, oh, maybe I'll just mosey back in there and write a song. Like I just can't stay away from it. It's an addiction. Mm. And in some ways that's really good. And in some ways that's really bad. <laughs> well, we are delighted that you've kept going. And uh, it looks <laughs> like the future is going to be very rosy. And I'm really excited about hearing the other songs that are going to be other people's songs. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited to share them. <laughs> Well, Megan, thank you so much for joining me. It's been an absolute pleasure, as always. And roll on the rest of 2021. Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much, Georgie. It's been really great to chat to you and and, uh, hope everybody picked up some nice Nashville tips there as well. Absolutely. Thank you. So as some post-production edits from our interview with Megan O'Neill, Megan recommended the following bars and uh, eateries in Nashville. So Belcourt Taps, Winners and Losers Bar, the Wild Horse Saloon, which does amazing line dancing, and Fido or Frothy Monkey Coffee Houses. If you want to go a little bit further afield um, and go exploring more of Tennessee, there's Fall Creek Falls, which is in Middle Tennessee, and Cummins Falls in Jackson County, both of which are absolutely beautiful, are state parks and definitely worth a visit. I noticed that I forgot to ask Megan where everybody can follow her. So if you do want to hear a little bit more from Megan, find out more about her music and herself, she is on Twitter at Megan O'Neill on Instagram and Facebook at Megan O'Neill Music and her website is megan-oneill.com. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TN Fields Fest on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you, so don't forget you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee